Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before the winter of 2017, Larry Williams was an active guy. He grew up on a farm in Mississippi. In the 90s, he moved to Barstow, California, just north of L.A., where he spent more than 20 years working at a rail facility. Even as he got into middle age, he kept hiking, biking, and playing all kinds of sports. You know, basketball, baseball, football, you know. Um, love golfing, but uh, never was good at it, but I love it. <laughs> love it. They call me Bogey, uh, Bogey Williams. <laughs> but that year, right after Christmas, Williams came down with a really bad cold. At least, that's what he thought it was at first. I went to... Uh, one of the local um, pharmacies and loaded up on all kind of cold and flu meds and <laughs> and I found out I was taking more of that than, than I was actually eating, you know, and it just continued to get worse. Williams couldn't eat much. What he did, he couldn't keep down. He had a fever. He couldn't sleep. And then there were the night sweats. It got so bad that one night, I just stood outside in 30-degree temperatures with short pants on with an ice pack on my head. <laughs> you know, and my neighbor was like, hey, man, you know, something really wrong with you. He'd been to urgent care clinics, but by this point, he'd been sick for weeks. A few days after he stood outside in the cold, Williams went to the hospital. When he got to the emergency room, he says he was still burning up from the fever. I sat down and, like, someone poured water over me, and they're like, no, we, we need to get you in now. Williams was in the hospital for days. He says doctors took his blood and ran tests, but they told him they didn't know what was going on. Then, one of Williams' doctors told him he had a hunch. This doctor had just been at a conference where he'd heard a colleague talking about something called valley fever. He said, I don't know, it's a long shot, but we're going to send your, your blood up there. And um, came back that I had valley fever. Valley fever is caused by a fungus called coccidioides. Its spores are found in dirt throughout central and southern California, in Arizona, and other parts of the southwestern U.S. Williams doesn't know where he caught valley fever, but he lives in the Mojave Desert, a place that's windy, dusty, and dry. Perfect conditions for the spores of this fungus to become airborne and spread. There's currently no way to prevent a valley fever infection. But a vaccine is in the works and it could help change how fungal infections are treated. There's this perception that these diseases are rare. And even though that might have been the case a few decades ago, it seems like that's no longer true. Dominique Mossbergen covers medical science for The Wall Street Journal. She's been reporting on the challenges of treating patients with invasive fungal infections, particularly people with compromised immune systems. A lot of researchers characterize severe fungal diseases as an unintended consequence of modern medicine because we've been able to extend people's lives and so it gives these fungi more opportunity to invade. In recent years, studies have shown that fungi are making more and more people sick. And some of those fungi are becoming resistant to drugs. 
which means the number of tools that doctors have to treat them is shrinking. That's what makes preventing infections even more critical. There are concerns that even with new drugs, um, that we won't be able to treat all these new people who are getting these infections. From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Danny Lewis. The rising threat of fungal infections is spurring new research to take on this emerging health issue. From finding new treatments to making vaccines that could prevent the most vulnerable people from getting sick in the first place. That's all ahead. Stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a few ways most of us think about fungal infections. A minor annoyance, like athlete's foot, an easily treatable health issue, like a yeast infection, or in the extreme, apocalyptic. As in the video game turned HBO series, The Last of Us, where a fungal pathogen starts taking over people's brains and turns them into flesh-eating, mushroom-headed zombies. Okay, that's really extreme and very fictional, as Wall Street Journal reporter Dominique Mossbergen reassured me. We're not going to have a zombie apocalypse, you know, featuring fungi, at least anytime soon. But fungal pathogens are very real. And while only a few hundred of the millions of fungal species we know about can make people sick, fungi are everywhere. Like, as I'm talking to you right now, you know, in the last minute, I've probably inhaled millions of spores. These are just our environmental mold and yeast. Yes, mold is a kind of fungus. So is yeast. Luckily, the vast majority of fungi don't cause serious infections for most people. But in the past 20 years, scientists have raised alarms about rising rates of several serious fungal pathogens, like Candida auris a species of often drug-resistant yeast that easily spreads in hospitals and nursing homes. Worldwide, it kills up to 60% of patients who catch it. Or aspergillus, a common mold that can cause serious and sometimes fatal lung infections in people with weakened immune systems. We're talking about fungi that are able to come into our bodies, so they are infecting our blood or our organs. And when that happens, that can cause real severe disease and even death. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates more than 75,000 people in the U.S. are hospitalized for fungal diseases annually. And a 2017 study by the Global Action Fund for Fungal Infections estimates that more than 1.5 million people around the world are killed by fungal infections each year. Fungal invasive infections and diseases are becoming more frequent. The resistance is becoming more and more important. They're becoming more difficult to treat. That's Dr. Hatem Sati. He studies antimicrobial resistance at the World Health Organization. And he was the lead author of the WHO's first ever report on the fungal diseases they're most concerned about. It was published last October. They are uh, largely fatal because of the limited treatment options. And so we decided finally to 
select 19 pathogens, rank them and prioritize them based on their burden of disease. All of the fungi we've mentioned so far are in the report. Candida auris, aspergillus, and coccidioides, which causes valley fever. And there's a growing body of evidence suggesting that some fungal pathogens are spreading by adapting to warmer climates and human bodies. Sati says that's a big problem because fungi are also becoming resistant to antifungal medications. These medicines are uh, under threat. Uh, There is a a very plausible possibility that uh, most of them will lose their uh, effectiveness uh, in the coming few decades unless this is truly addressed. In recent years, doctors and scientists have watched as several dangerous fungi have developed defenses against the few tools that can fight them. And doctors say there are just three classes of antifungals that are most commonly used against invasive fungal infections. My colleague Dominique Mosbergen says when a fungus develops resistance to one drug... They're more likely to develop resistance to other drugs in that same class because drugs in the same class are targeting similar things. Plus, antifungals also have really nasty side effects in addition to the impact of the infections themselves. Remember Larry Williams, who we heard from earlier? He first got sick from valley fever five years ago, and he still has trouble walking. He had to get a new job where he can work from home. And one of the worst things, he says, his muscles are really, really sore. I do Zoom calls every day, and after one Zoom call, I'm done. Even sitting, just talking to you, my legs are just sore now, just sitting in his chair. William says he even went to the emergency room a few times because of it. I thought I was having a heart attack. My chest was like, just like hurting. We found out that it's not the, the heart, it's the muscles in my chest. Because if they get sore, then your whole chest is sore. Doctors say some of these symptoms are common for people with severe cases of valley fever. Others may be due to the medications that Williams had to take for years, which are pretty toxic to humans, too. Time for some Biology 101. Viruses are too simple to be called life. Just some proteins and a bit of DNA or RNA. Then bacteria are prokaryotes. That means they're really simple organisms. Just a single cell. Then there are the much more complicated eukaryotes. They're larger and have specialized internal cellular systems called organelles. And they include plants, animals, and fungi, too. And because of those similarities, when creating a drug that targets the fungal cell, often it has this effect of also harming the human cell. My colleague Dominique Mossbergen says some people might not feel many side effects from these drugs. Others experience vomiting, itching, and severe skin peeling or rashes. But in rare, worst-case scenarios, some antifungals could have life-threatening side effects, like kidney failure. There are lots of different reasons, but what is clear is it's really hard to make an antifungal that is both effective at killing the fungus while not harming the human cells. Not only are fungal infections hard to treat, they tend to infect people who are already sick, especially people with weak immune systems. Part of it is, clinically, we're getting better and better at treating individuals that have other clinical issues that would then make them susceptible to fungal infections. That's University of Georgia professor Karen Norris. She's an immunologist and studies infectious diseases. She's even working on a fungal vaccine. More on that later. 
Norris says one of the reasons severe fungal infections are becoming more common is because doctors have gotten so much better at keeping people alive. Cancer patients, for example. People living with HIV. Organ transplant recipients. And studies have suggested that some people who had severe cases of COVID-19 are more at risk of getting invasive fungal infections. We saw that in the COVID um, situation, people dying in the, in the ICU, a, a good percentage of them had aspergillus or canada and stuff. Add all these elements up and you get a tough challenge for doctors. So what if fungal infections could be prevented in the first place with a vaccine? More on that just ahead. WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out The Quirkier Side of Life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Making a new vaccine is tough. Really tough. Those COVID-19 vaccines that were available about a year into the pandemic, those were outliers. It usually takes at least a decade to create new vaccines and get them into people's arms. And that's for vaccines protecting against viruses and bacteria. When it comes to fungi, though... It's a little more complex, right? If you're a Harry Potter fan, it's wizard chess. Or like three-dimensional chess from Star Trek. Karen Norris from the University of Georgia knows this firsthand because she's leading a team that is working on a fungal vaccine. You, you first have to find the target, right? But it's just, it's just kind of a numbers game. Most modern vaccines work in a couple of ways. Some inject weakened versions of a virus or bacteria into our bodies. That's how vaccines like the polio shot work. They teach our immune system how to identify a pathogen, which is actually one reason there hasn't been a vaccine for fungal infections before. They just have more DNA to work with, more genes to work with. They're genetically much more complex than, like, a virus. That's because, like I mentioned earlier, fungi are eukaryotes. The vaccines that protect against viruses or bacteria teach our immune system to identify a threat. So when we encounter the real thing, our antibodies already know how to prevent the virus or bacteria from infecting our cells. With a fungus, though... They're a little bit more like us in the sense that um, they have multiple chromosomes and lots of DNA, and there are much more complex processes going on. And the immune system just has to say, we, we got to target everything because we don't know what's important. There have been a few tries to make fungal vaccines, but so far, none have made it through human trials. Nora says the vaccine her team is working on could protect against pneumocystis, a fungus that can cause life-threatening pneumonia, as well as Candida auris and Aspergillus. She says they've seen positive results in animal tests and hope to get approval to start human trials in the coming years. If we can make it so that patients that are on complex drug regimens don't have to take one more drug to prevent a fungal infection, that would be a benefit. Norris's team isn't the only one working on a fungal vaccine. A group at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Tucson, is working on a vaccine for coccidioides, 
the fungus that causes valley fever. And this vaccine is taking a different approach, using genetically engineered live spores. It really is alive at the time you vaccinate the person. But within the next several days, that live inoculation, virtually all of those go away. And so it doesn't propagate. It doesn't cause disease. Dr. John Galgiani is the director of the University of Arizona's Valley Fever Center for Excellence. He says these spores have been genetically altered to remove a gene called CPS1. Without that gene, Galgiani says the spores fall apart before they can get a foothold, but after the immune system identifies the threat. The organism starts to become leaky and kind of falls apart uh, within the first few days. Maybe more like a piece of fruit that, you know, just starts to dry out and disappear. Galjani's team is partnering with a pharmaceutical company called Anavive Life Sciences to develop the vaccine and get it approved by federal regulators. David Bruyette is Anavive's chief medical officer. The biggest challenge is that everyone's very familiar with bacterial and viral vaccines. Because, again, there's never been an approved vaccine for fungal infections. So Anavive is trying to get it approved first for dogs, who can also get pretty sick from valley fever. Briette says they have already tested the vaccine extensively in animals. We showed that the vaccine was safe in dogs, safe in mice. We're going to use that same information to help move this vaccine towards a human phase one study um, for vaccinating people against valley fever. To be clear, this is all still experimental. The majority of vaccines don't make it out of preclinical trials. The USDA hasn't approved Anavive's dog vaccine though the company says it is hopeful it will have an answer early next year. And the company still needs to do a lot of work before it can submit data to the FDA to evaluate the vaccine's safety and effectiveness in humans. But in the meantime, Bruyette says Anavive is laying the groundwork if the vaccine is approved for dogs, which includes finding manufacturers that are willing to work with fungi in the first place. Most vaccine companies run away when you come to them and say, hey, you want to grow a fungus in your facility? They say, uh, no. These companies try to avoid getting fungi in their equipment for the same reasons that invasive infections are so hard to treat. Because once you have it in your equipment, it's really difficult to get out. And because no one's mass-produced a fungal vaccine before, there's no roadmap to follow. What we're trying to demonstrate to human pharma is, look, here's a proof of concept. You can make a vaccine against fungal organisms. You can do it cost-effectively. You can do it safely. We've de-risked this for you. So now you can take this forward and do all the things that you guys know how to do to bring a vaccine forward for man. That's one reason why Anavive says it's developing the dog vaccine first, so it can use the animal testing data and profits from that drug to develop a human vaccine. But not everyone who studies fungal disease is convinced that vaccines are the best approach. When you think about it from a practical point of view and a scientific point of view, it might be very challenging. That's Dr. Hatem Sati from the World Health Organization. The very principle of uh, developing a vaccine uh, revolves around this idea of stimulating your immune system to then develop permanent immunity towards the pathogen. But Sati says there's not enough data to know whether a fungal vaccine would do much for people whose immune systems are weakened to begin with, who, as we've mentioned, are the most at risk for invasive fungal infections. How can you determine who's a good candidate for the vaccine or not, and when to use it? All of these makes it really complex to address 
uh, invasive fungal infections and diseases through vaccination. I'm not dismissing vaccines. It's just that I'm just saying that this is broad. You know, you could think of other things as well. Sati says there are other ways to prevent fungal infections, like improving ventilation, better safety standards for people who might be exposed to fungi through their work, and easier access to quality health care. But implementing those changes would likely require government action. On the treatment front, my colleague Dominique Mosberkin says pharmaceutical companies are taking notice of the need for new antifungals. They see that there is more need and more demand for these drugs. So hopefully that will fuel more R&D and we'll see more of these drugs in the future. The National Institutes of Health has put more than $4.5 million in grants toward developing a valley fever vaccine. The CDC is also funding more testing for Candida auris. Dominique says better diagnostic tools could also help make sure people get the treatment that is available faster. So your primary care doctors, your ER doctors, your ER nurses, and so on, like have a greater number of healthcare professionals who are aware of these diseases so that when a patient comes in, they can get diagnosed early, which is really important because early diagnosis equals a much better chance of survival and recovery. Because while we probably won't have to deal with outbreaks of mushroom-headed zombies, like in The Last of Us, Dominique says one way or another, more and more doctors will likely have to become familiar with diagnosing fungal infections in the future. We can't just dismiss fungal diseases as something that happens only to a tiny group of people, so we don't need to worry about it. This is something that is occurring at a much faster rate in a wider swath of our population, and so we really need to be paying attention to it. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Okenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Danny Lewis. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers and wrote our theme music. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors, and Felana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. Like the show? Tell your friends. And leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.